This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We're going to be talking about the Panthers' heartbreaking 34-24 loss to Auburn, preview their Sunbelt opener with Appalachian State this Saturday, and then switch gears to talk basketball as the teams open fall practice on the hardwood and Coach Rob Lanier met with the media. Lastly, we'll circle back and talk once more about conference realignment as the loudest signal that Georgia State is staying put came earlier this week. But first, let's jump right in and turn our attention back to Jordan-Hare Stadium last Saturday afternoon as Georgia State was looking for the upset at number 23, Auburn. It was a beautiful afternoon in Auburn, Alabama, and it was a beautiful first half for the Panthers as they jumped out to a 24-12 halftime lead off the back of 219 first half rushing yards. Tucker Gregg had two 50-plus yard runs in the half, the second of which went for a touchdown. But Auburn made it a one-score game, 24-19, after a Kalen Newton blocked punt was recovered by Barton Lester in the end for a touchdown with 4 minutes and 44 seconds left in the third quarter. Georgia State offense that moved all over the field in the first half could only muster 85 yards in the second, but the Panthers' defense kept the lead intact. An Anders Carlson missed field goal and a Jordan Venzial fumble recovery ended two Auburn fourth-quarter drives deep into GSU territory with no points to show for it. Still, when Auburn got the ball on their own two-yard line with three minutes and 23 seconds to go in the game, backup quarterback TJ Finley led them on a 98-yard scoring drive helped by a non-catch at the GSU 11 by tight end John Samuel Shanker that was ruled a catch and capped off when Finley escaped pressure and found Shedrick Jackson for a 10-yard go-ahead TD pass on 4th and 9 with 45 seconds left. Darren Granger threw a pick 6 to smoke Monday on the second play of Georgia State's next drive and Auburn staved off the upset bid. Gentlemen, we all watched this game. We know what we saw. We've got opinions. What you got? Oh man, that was a heartbreaker. You, you know, you laid it out pretty, pretty clearly. Uh, just kind of the game flow. Um, but I, you know, I want to start at the very end of the game, and then we. I kind of want to work backwards. Um, hopefully, that's okay. That last drive by Auburn, you know, I want to first of all congratulate them for that drive because let's face it, regardless of who you are, having to go 98 yards in three minutes and 23 seconds in college, uh, you know, that's not an easy feat necessarily. And, you know, Auburn's bread and butter coming into the game was their running game. And, you know, Georgia State did a pretty good job of bottling that up. So, you know, hats off to them and TJ Finley for, you know, leading that charge. You know, that I mean, that was incredible. I also want to give a quick shout out to Michael Hayes, the Georgia State punter, for that absolutely ridiculous punt um, to put them on the two-yard line. You know, it didn't end up mattering, but... It was, you know, still a great punt. Um, that game probably sucked to be if you're a Georgia State fan or a Georgia State Panther football player. But there's absolutely nothing that, you know, there's nothing that a football player has to hang, you know, hang their head about. They were the better team for, you know, 50 minutes and seven, 59 minutes and seven seconds of that game. And I think the just sheer level of raw talent ultimately was the difference maker. Um, because Georgia, I mean, Georgia state came in and they just, they looked like how they did a week before against Charlotte, you know, they stopped the run when they needed to, they forced quarterbacks to make perfect throws and they couldn't, 
Um, and, you know, on offense for the first half, at least, they just kind of got everything they wanted on the ground and, you know, found key passes at the right time. And, you know, it just it, it kind of stopped working in the second half. And, you know, I know people wanted to sit there and say, oh, they went conservative. No, I don't necessarily agree with that. I just think Auburn decided to play like an SEC defensive line. <laughs> you know, it kind of happens. But. You know, it was a good game, and it sucks that Georgia State couldn't finish it, but, uh, man, they were so close. So close. Yeah, uh, I sort of I don't like talking about game like losses on the pod, especially losses like that, because th- there's a feeling that either you have to be like, no, no moral victories, everything's bad, you lost the game, you needed to win, or there's a like a desire to rationalize and and find the moral victories in it, and so yeah, I don't really know what you'd characterize my reaction, what what that camp that'll fall into. But the first thing I would say is, at halftime, I was at the game. I was in the press box at Jordan Hare. Um, I was tempted to send a tweet, something along the lines of, "Panther fans, take a snapshot of this because you don't know how this second half's going to go." And that was a hell of a half Georgia State just played and. You know, it wasn't written in the stars that they were going to lose that 12-point halftime lead and lose the game eventually, particularly in such a manner. But I kind of think the same sentiment holds in that I think that there's a chance that people are going to look back at this game and be despondent and think of the what-ifs, but like legitimately be able to cherish that first half and be able to cherish the way they played in SEC school and fought all the way to the end. And yes, there's a good... You know, one or two things goes a different way. Georgia State wins that game. It's the second SEC win in a row. It's a big deal. But I just don't think that you can lose sight of just going out there and doing what they did for four quarters is what they wanted to do. And it nearly led to a win. It didn't. But just the way that they put on for Georgia State was a very, I'd say it was still a proud moment for the university. I, you know, I want to say something that I, I don't want people to lose sight of. The Georgia State team that walked into Jordan-Hare last Saturday is not the same Georgia State team that hosted Army in week one. It's not the same Georgia State team that went up to UNC in week two. You know, I don't know what the rest of the season is going to look like right now, but if the Georgia State that showed up for about if the defense showed up that showed up for the entire game is the defense that Georgia state is going to have in Sunbelt conference play. This is going to be a good team. If the offense from the first half shows up, this is going to be an elite team. Um, And I, it's so frustrating because the defensive numbers, they don't look good on the season. Obviously we know that, but, and I know, I feel like I'm a broken record when I say this, but you have to keep watching just to really get a, a feel for what this team is doing, you know, and I, I think there are still some problems on defense, you know, they still don't have an interception, you know, the past couple of games, they've gotten, you know, some timely fumbles, but you can't necessarily count on that each and every game. So, you know, they're going to have to be more effective at disrupting passes, but at the same time, they've been showing that they're, they have been taking steps forward. You know, came into this game averaging 7.7 yards on the ground per carry they didn't average over five it was 4.7 that's huge you know they absolutely bottled up bigsby and hunter when they needed to yes they both still had they you know they finished the game in the 60 yard 
range. And, you know, as a team, Auburn had 166 yards on the ground. But this is a team that, you know, Auburn wants to run just like Georgia State does. Get, you know, 40 rushes for over 200 yards. You know, that's that's not what happened. It took a ridiculous last drive of the game type scenario for Auburn to win this game. And yes, I know that the final score was the Georgia State lost by 10. You know, I can read. But, I mean, come on. Everybody knew that Granger was going to want to pass the ball, and a defensive person read the read correctly and just intercepted a pass and ended up scoring. But Georgia State absolutely was in that game the entire way, and you know, you, you have to take something with that. Yeah, I guess looking at it and kind of addressing probably the elephant in the room or the supposed elephant in the room anytime a team like Auburn underperforms, they had LSU coming up this week. There's a good chance that they were overlooking Georgia State somewhat. There's a chance that maybe even if the coaches were saying all these things about you got to take this team seriously, I mean, dealing with 18 to 22 year olds. But the thing is, is that's only part of the equation. Like, yes, I think Auburn winning that game, trying to clean up some passing stuff specifically and emphasizing the pass a little more than they usually do because they had games coming up and that was where their concern was for the rest of the season because, uh, you know, the, same with Georgia State. This was their last non-conference game. The SEC conference schedule matters to them. And so stuff like that is stuff they wanted to iron out when they had one more chance when the game didn't count as much. Uh, but the, the other part of the equation is, especially in the run game, I think they probably thought, OK, let's do this passes. Let's get Bo Nix going and we can still lean on the run. And I don't think they were ready for the the speed and the aggression the Georgia State front had against their run. And they couldn't just in the first half make it happen just by sheer five-star power on 24-7 sports. Uh, and a lot of credit goes to the defensive staff for having a good game plan. I, I It was just both linebackers shooting gaps all game. And whether or not they were the ones making the tackle or not, it was leading to the play getting maybe funneled to a different part of the backfield and the defensive linemen were getting past their guys and getting in the backfield and making plays. And, you know, I think that it's why it's always the thing that coaches say is you can't take games off because even if that was a factor, the other part of it is Georgia state distinctly didn't take the game off. They've got speed on defense that it's hard to replicate in practice, which is something coach Harson Auburn's coach said in his post game is that, they couldn't replicate the defense's speed when they were getting ready for this game. And that was the other part of the equation is that Georgia state's defense just had control of the line of scrimmage. And that's not something that's easy to do against a team like Auburn. It's not, it's not, you know, it's really not. And I, I think the one thing that I took away from that UNC game was how it was a lot less about the Georgia State defensive line getting bodied by a power five offensive line and just a ridiculous quarterback and some ridiculously athletic wide receivers were just making plays and making it seem like they were playing in a backyard or something like that. But, you know, that's another week that Georgia State looked completely fine in the trenches, you know? And I I would say, like, they... Especially with Knicks, they forced Knicks to Knicks looked uncomfortable. Like I'll say, he you know he might not have been sacked a ton, or he might, I know he did get hit uh, a lot more in the second half, especially towards when, right before they were going to replace him with uh, Finley because there was a couple of overthrows to the right sideline. Just I mean, he had a Georgia State player bearing in on him, um, but 
he just did not look like a guy who wanted to be in that situation. And that's that's all defense. That's just the Georgia State defense having that speed and, you know, kind of having an assignment and just sticking to it. You know, they had a good game plan. Yeah, and especially in the matchups out of conference like this where, you know, Auburn had the 28-point spread in their favor, the things they can do in these games for themselves usually is create really big plays long plays they got a 90 plus yard run against i believe it was against alabama state it might have been against akron but uh the longest play from scrimmage auburn had was 28 yards and so they they were able to bust a couple of plays like that where they were able to get past one man maybe on a like a perimeter pass and shed the cornerback get downfield a little bit but georgia state contained the huge plays and it was just kind of a couple of kind of big plays but not that killed off six points for auburn and it ended up mattering a lot because there are a couple of plays that those big plays set up Auburn either in field goal range or just in Georgia State territory in some place. And the drives either ended with field goals or missed field goals or, you know, the Venzial fumble recovery. And so the the one thing you can't do if you get if one guy misses the assignment, like the other guys have to step up and get back and cover and get the guy out of bounds and just if you can limit the 60-yard plays, which they did not do against UNC, but they were able to do against Auburn, you, you know, it, until the blocked punt, Auburn's crowd never really, really had that big thing to cheer about in that game. And they had a lot more things they were booing at, which was apparent from early in the second quarter, really, where they just started turning on Bo Nix. Uh, but on offense, they didn't get that huge play that, got the crowd way into it, got them excited. And, you know, that's part of how these big power conference teams pull away is they just start making big plays like that happen. They start putting up points fast, get the crowd into it, and then all of a sudden they're up three scores and you look up and go, when did that happen? And Georgia State's defense didn't allow that to happen. And, you know, I, I think it's sustainable. Truthfully, I do. Because just the way that they've been playing the last couple of weeks and kind of at different parts, you know, you, you definitely saw it with Army a little bit more than UNC. I think UNC kind of got what they wanted on the Georgia State defense. But some of the times Army, like the couple, I think Army punted two or three times. And those, you definitely could see that level of progression with the defense. And if you know everybody stays healthy, I, there's no doubt in my mind that this can continue for Georgia State. Because I mean, they like again, they played a hell of a game. And you know, flipping around to the other side of the ball, it, it was a little bit Jekyll and Heidi from the offense. Uh, the first half, they put up 24 points, ran the ball over 200 yards, had some big plays. The second half, Auburn's defense was there from the jump. Uh, very prescient coach Elliott halftime interview he was saying to the sideline reporter they're going to come out with their hair on fire we're going to get their best shot we've got to be ready and you know I think the defense definitely matched that I don't think the defense really had any kind of let up and I don't even want to say the offense had much they could do about it because I just think that they were winning a lot of the assignments in the trenches much like the defense was in the first half and then the second half Auburn's front bared down like the Auburn defense that it only allowed 130 rushing yards through three games so far. And so, you know, I think that there's stuff that the offense can definitely clean up, but I, you know, 
I'm an Occam's razor guy. I try not to overcomplicate things. And I think the simplest explanation for the offense in the second half is that Auburn's defense is really good and played like they were Auburn's defense. And so, you know, we can get into a little bit of just the offense of what was not working as well as highlighting the stuff that was going well throughout the game. But I, I just think that's my final conclusion. I mean, it's so easy to focus after a tough loss on like what you could have done better, your team could have done better. And I just think that there's a risk of overdoing that in this instance and not just looking at the, the facts staring you down right in the face. I mean, it is what it is, but Auburn's got a really good defense and they showed it in the second half. And sometimes that that's how it be. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I can say... I think the issue was a little bit also the Georgia state offensive line just got a little tired. Um, There were some battles, like you said, that they were winning in the first half and in the second half, they just completely stopped winning those battles. Um, Part of that is I think the return of Zacoby McLean, who's out uh, in the first half due to a, I believe it was a weird targeting call the week prior uh, when Auburn was playing uh, Penn state. But I mean, he definitely changed the complexion of the defense and allowed them to kind of come in a little bit more. Um, one thing that definitely, at least I saw when rewatching the game, they, they kind of spread their defensive line out to kind of put uh, the two ends over the tackles instead of the guards. Um, no, I have that backwards. Over the guards instead of the tackles. Um, and then they kind of compressed them. So there were always two people right over the center. Um, and that worked, you know, like it was a lot of a gap and B gap on the right side of the Georgia state line that just did not hold up as well. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's probably what happened on the blocked punt. So, um, you know, it's just, you can't necessarily fault Georgia state for that. Like that's, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbled and, you know, they, they still played well. I just think the team with higher level of talent decided to actually use it at time. Yeah. So like in the first half, especially in the second quarter, which was just a a brilliant quarter all around for the offense, uh, they mixed and matched and did the balance thing that we've been so accustomed to seeing with these coach Glenn offenses, especially they got the short passing game going for Darren Granger. And I thought that was really working. It was little like quick route to, Terrence Dixon right in the middle of the field. He gets it out in two seconds. It's a first down. Uh, and then they got a couple out in space. They got Roger Carter who made a tremendous grab on the sideline. Uh, I know David wants to shout out that play design on the Jamari Thrash touchdown that, I mean, Jamari Thrash had whole half of the end zone all to himself. There wasn't anyone around him. Wide open. Easiest throw, easiest catch either of those guys are going to have. And then in the second half, like... The run game was getting collapsed down because they were winning up front. And also when Georgia State was dropping back to pass, pressure was coming off the edge every single time. Just Darren Granger didn't have the time that he had in the first half. And so, again, I just say Auburn did a good good job there. And there really isn't a playbook for moving the ball consistently when you can either get a push in the run game or stop edge pressure in the passing game. And you know what? I think the sad part is, is we've seen the offense for Georgia State this year kind of stall at times. I still love that Granger was trying to take shots. 
You know, like he still was trying to get the ball down the sidelines to thrash who this is where I will plug the play design on that touchdown. Aubrey Payne and Brad Glenn. Thank you, because that left side and the clear out uh, to get thrash open on the right side. That's some beautiful work. Anyways, um, <laughs> it's, it's not like Georgia State was trying to just do short passes at that point. Yes, there were a couple of attempts because you want, you know, you want to honor different parts of the field, but it, Auburn was doing a really good job of getting to the rush before anything could develop. You just, you kind of hang your hat and just say, okay, this is just kind of how that's going to be. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that the other thing is, and we'll talk more about this. when we talk about the app state game is that Sam Pickney was back. He wasn't still really the guy that they've leaned on as heavily as they did last year in the passing game. And Cornelius McCoy missed the game. And so, I still think it's you can't completely discredit that some key guys have been missing from the passing game and that affected for sure quad Brown and the starts he's made. And I still think it's something that has been missing from when Darren has been quarterback. And so something that hopefully as health continues to get better for those guys and they're back in the lineup more and taking more reps that that can start to maybe open up the passing game more, but still a couple of missed throws. Definitely some throws that I think Darren would want back had open guy and just didn't have the right throw. Um, but obviously we saw the other way. Uh, missed throws were just contagious on Saturday. Um, Bo Nix had some missed throws. Even TJ Finley missed a couple when he came in, but uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm not necessarily as discouraged by the second half shutout for the offense, just because of the reasons I detailed and I'm just more choosing to focus on. I think there aren't going to be teams other than maybe the next opponent Georgia State plays, App State, that really you could say could completely on a dime flip that switch at halftime and completely change their defense and turn it on like that. And I think that there's a lot of games on the schedule this year where Georgia State can establish the run like they were able to do in the first half against Auburn. I think there's still a lot of room for improvement in the passing game. And so when those two things happen in tandem against less talented defenses, I think that that's going to be the key for Georgia State to kind of get out of this stupor on offense, because it's definitely not been the offense we've seen the last two years on balance. And I think that it's still the same players, and I think we're still expecting to see that a little bit more. And so I just think that's where it's going to have to come from. It has been very streaky. I will say that, but you know, we can kind of transition on what it needs to look like this week, but it definitely has been very streaky and it, the numbers look good. Like, you know, a Tucker Greg again, he had, what did he do? Like the, he had the most runs and a half against Auburn since like 2002 or something like that. That's crazy. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just, they, they're going to need to put like 60 minutes of consistent offense on the field. If they want to beat, you know, App State this week. That's right, David. Panthers do play App State this week with the non-conference slate finally over, moving into Sunbelt play. So the Mountaineers are 3-1 and one on the season, coming off of a 31-30 win over Marshall at home last Thursday, led by Sean Clark in his second full season. Clark, an alum and former player for Appalachian State, has a 13-4 and record as the head coach, including when he led them to a win as the interim coach in the 2019 New Orleans Bowl. 
The Mountaineers have never lost to Georgia State, leading the all-time series 7-zip. Players to watch for the Mountaineers. Quarterback Chase Bryce, a grad transfer from Duke. 67% completion percentage, 258.5 passing yards per game, 5 TDs, 3 interceptions so far. A good running back tandem of Cameron Peoples, who has a joint FBS leading eight rushing TDs in 2021, and Nate Noel. Big wide receiver tandem of super seniors Corey Sutton and Thomas Hennigan. And on defense, they've got playmakers at each level. Outside linebacker Brendan Harrington, inside linebacker DeMarco Jackson, and cornerback Sean Jolly, who had two interceptions in the team's 2019 meeting, to name a few. So, gentlemen, the Mountaineers of Appalachian State coming to Center Park Stadium this Saturday at 2 p.m. What are you thinking? Yes, yes, this game again. Uh, I guess, you know, I think that we've gone through a couple of different evolutions in just this out-of-conference schedule where the the first two weeks, like, it was a very warranted 0-2 Georgia State team. And I think you would have looked at this App State game and a couple of others on the schedule of good teams and just gone, oh, no. But I think that it was one and one in the final two games. But obviously, as we detailed, Georgia State played well enough to win both of those last two games. And so it feels like a real paradigm shift. And I think we're back to App State's a good team. And the team that has played the last two weeks in Georgia State uniforms has been a good team. And... When they played last year, it was down to the wire, low-scoring game. And so I think if you're buying that what we have seen from Georgia State the last couple of weeks is more real as what Georgia State is, then I don't think just saying it might be another close one down to the wire. This time it's at Georgia State Stadium, so who knows what happens, is out of line. I mean, I, I think that the team that we saw play Auburn, uh, Coach Elliott outwardly said, I believe, I don't want to totally misquote him, but I think he said this is the best team Georgia State will have played so far, meaning I think he thinks the Sap State team is better than Auburn. So the, the task might get harder depending on how you rate the teams, but the team that we saw play in Jordan-Hare last week is up for a tough task. They are. They certainly are. Um, I don't even know what I want to say about App State that I haven't already said. It's just... One of these years, it's going to happen, and this year might as well be the year. I think the reality is, is this is not the invincible app state that, you know, we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing. You know, they're probably good. I think they're probably a little bit, they're a little bit streakier than they were last year, but I still think that they're a good team. Um, But I also think Georgia State is a good team. And part of why I'm less... Part of why I, you know, I have a little bit more confidence in Georgia State's ability to beat App State is because if you look at the way that Georgia State has played the last two weeks, Georgia State has not really allowed themselves to be beat. They played a very clean game against Auburn. You know, I think in the first half they had like two or three penalties, but in the second half, pretty much nothing. Um, they played a good game against Charlotte as well. You know, it wasn't a super high penalty game either. You know, they were very good at shutting down an offense that had up until that point done kind of what they wanted, regardless of the opponent. Now, App State is different. You know, they've got a transfer quarterback and it seems like they can just pump out any quarterback behind center and they'll just be, they'll be good for like just over 200 yards and, you know, just hand the ball off to insert group of running backs here that's going to also run for 200 yards 
You know, and they'll probably run the ball. They'll try to anyway. But just the way that Georgia State has been handling the run, I think that App State is going to have to force their quarterback to make plays with his arm. And that'll be the difference maker because I don't foresee a situation where they're just going to put up their normal, you know, yards on the ground that they do. Because I mean, up until this point, Georgia state has done a very good job of containing teams running games, you know, so it's going to come down to which quarterback is going to be able to use his arm. And I, from the, the, what I have seen of chase Bryce so far, I think I would give the edge to Georgia state right this second. I don't know. I mean, I agree with it. I think it's going to come down to the passing game just because I do think that Georgia State can at least negate the top level of what App State can do on the ground. It, again, as as we see which Georgia State team it is. And yeah, I, I guess the thing is, is I know that you, Hennigan and Sutton are basically co-wide receiver ones. They're both healthy right now. Corey Sutton absolutely torched Georgia State in 2019, the last time that they played in Atlanta. Um, and I think that Bryce has probably the better deep ball of some of the guys they've had recently. Like Taylor Lamb was a good quarterback. Zach Thomas was a good quarterback. But I think that Chase Bryce naturally is the best thrower of them, at least, nat- you know, just on arm talent alone. And he's definitely got a rapport with them. He's definitely got a comfort level and the thing that app state does is they pick out tendencies really well they do film study really well and get prep for games really well and so i think that they're going to try and catch georgia state in run looks and throw it over the top and you know you're going to have a lot of times where one-on-one someone's going to have to win against these all-conference receivers and so the, the challenge is going to be you know, Quay White and Bright Crease Brown are going to maybe be on island sometimes against really good receivers and they're going to have to win some tough battles. And so, you know, I don't want to say, you know, they're, I feel like just saying they're good underrates them. And that just feels like a dangerous thing to do with a team like App State that's been the class of the conference. Uh, it's still, I would say that they, they've seemed a slightly more susceptible than in past years is how I would put it. Uh, but it's still early, and we'll see if they kind of hit their rhythm there. But I think that that also presents the opportunity for me. I think that Bryce definitely likes his arm. He's a shot taker for sure. And the interceptions he's thrown, some of them have just been, he's thrown it downfield, trusted his guy, and the defender wins and gets the interception. And so Georgia State still doesn't have an interception. They should change that. And I think there'll be an opportunity that, it's going to be down to the guys on the outside winning their perimeter battles, but I think there's going to be at least one throw that's a 50-50 ball that Bryce just throws up that he trusts his guy and the Georgia State guy is going to have to come down with it and force a turnover, get off the field. And stuff like that is, I think, where the difference might come. And that'll be really important. You know, they're going to have to find a way to just make as many plays as they can on defense. And, you know... I think the one thing that App State kind of has had in their run to dominance in the Sun Belt is it just feels like they have had bigger guys on their lines, uh, both offensive and defensive, and that has impacted their ability to play the game of football. Um, I think Georgia State, if they want to compete, they're going to have to keep that defensive line pressure up. Um, and they're just going to have to find a way to keep Darren Granger on his feet. And so, so make it so he can use his legs 
to make plays because that's another thing that we kind of didn't talk about it at the Auburn game, but uh, that's another thing too, that just kind of got away from Georgia state in the second half. Darren was able to do different things with his legs. So Auburn had to kind of honor different things. And there was like one run in the third or fourth quarter that went for like 22 yards when he, he just kind of went to his left off of the tackle and kind of busted it out. Like he made a guy miss and just kind of got a big game. He's going to need to do that a lot more against App State. Georgia State's going to win. You're going to be interested to see how Georgia State game plans with their run because they're running a lot of run blitzes against Auburn. They were shooting gaps super hard, and it's a dangerous game to play against App State. I mean, it was a dangerous game to play against Auburn, but it worked out because they were doing it well. But, you know, if Venzial shoots one of the gaps and it's not where the run play is, and if they can't keep contained on the other side, if the backside of the play where the run ended up going is you know the the running backs got free grass and that's potentially a 60 yard touchdown run right there and that's where the run game can have the impact Uh, so i'm interested to see i don't necessarily think that much is going to change i feel like that they can look at that tape against auburn and say this worked and so as long as guys execute and guys do what they're supposed to do on a given play that it's going to work again against another good running team, but definitely something I'm interested to see uh, how much really changes with the defensive game plan. And then, yeah, like you were saying, I, I think it's fair to say that the play of Darren Granger will be the factor on offense for just kind of the difference. Cause I think not everything that has gone wrong has been on the quarterback position for Georgia state this year, but in the times it's been going well, it's been because the quarterback's been making the plays he's needed to stay on the field, and eventually George State gets a touchdown out of it, points on the board. And so whether it's another couple throws here or there that have been missed that guy's open, you just got to hit that guy, or whether it's he evades some pressure and gets another 18-yard run like he did when he made, I think, six guys who actually physically touched him on one play against Auburn not bring him down, and he got a first down. And so I think that that's where the the X factor on the offense is going to be is just do we see that little bit more fine tuned good play from Darren Granger because every literally every inch might count in this game. It definitely will. It definitely will. Uh, something that I just wanted to point out to App State actually leads the conference in sacks against. They uh, Bryce has only been sacked four times. That's got to change. Yeah, and the thing is, is it's kind of the same thing with. Georgia State and Sean Elliott taking a lot of pride in the offensive line and building that up. I mean, Sean Clark is an offensive line coach. That's what he was doing at App State before he was the head coach. Uh, And so it's another thing where it's definitely a point of pride for them. And it's definitely a large part of why they're able to be successful year in, year out running the ball is that they always have a good group of guys there. And whenever someone graduates, wouldn't you know it? They find someone who can they they can plug in, and he's just as good, fits right in. So that's certainly gonna be the case where it's gonna be it's gonna be the test for the front. It's gonna be a real test for Georgia State's front. And uh, you, you sort of touched on it that like the the feeling of it's just gonna happen one year, and Georgia State's gonna beat App State. And first, I want to say that it feels like very Georgia State centric, like this is happening, but. If you look at the whole record of the Sun Belt against App State, Georgia State's really not alone. It's more teams that have only beaten App State once or have not beat them at all than have beat them multiple times. 
And so I, it feels like it's, oh, Georgia State can't get over this hump, but like the Sun Belt, the Sun Belt can't get over this hump. App State's really good. Um, and then the other part of it is that App State is really good. Ergo, they're a double-digit favorite. And I would guess they've probably been the double-digit favorite in every time Georgia State has played them, with maybe the exception of 2019, even though... In saying that, Dan was hurt in that game, so they were probably also a double-digit favorite in that game. I think it's probably fair to say that unless App State hits a real wall in the next couple of years, they're going to stay this good, and they're going to stay double-digit favorites in this game. And so probably the time that Georgia State beats App State, it's going to be a game where App State is a double-digit favorite. That that's you know, So the line almost doesn't matter to me, and you know, football is football. It's college kids. Something's going to happen at some point. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily look at that and go, oh, big bad App State with this. Like it's going to whenever it happens, it's going to happen on a game where it looks like a big upset because Georgia State was a double digit underdog. That's just how I see it. I bet you I'm going to make you guys mad when I say this. <laughs> so you're, to your point about apps, like it's an everything and all of the teams struggle with App State. You're absolutely correct. Number one, in 2020, that was the first year that App State dropped two or more conference games. They lost twice in 2020. Uh, to th- Every other year, they, if, if they had a loss during conference play, it was one, probably to Georgia Southern, more than likely. There was that one time that ULM got them, and we still don't talk about that game. It was really weird. Um, but, you know, nine times out of ten, it's going to be Georgia Southern. Um, but this is their, like, eighth season in the Sun Belt. And if they lose a game, it's only to one conference opponent. That's nuts. So it's definitely not just a Georgia State thing. I'm sure there's some Troy podcast or whoever who's, you know, having the same thought during that whatever week that those two teams play each other. Um, And it it, it kind of feels more uh, like it's a bigger deal on the Georgia State side only because, you know, we've seen where this team has gone the last 12 years, you know. Georgia State is still building from and kind of establishing that history, that pedigree. And, you know, we've seen that the team now is way better than the team was, you know, 10, 12 years ago, obviously. But this team that we can't get over the hump, that they can't get over the hump, has just been consistently dominant. You know, so it kind of makes it seem like it's a much bigger deal. And, you know, I'm sure... If this is the weekend that it finally happens, I'm sure the people who kind of are in the know about those things are going to freak out about it. And, you know, it's going to be pandemonium at Center Park Stadium. But, you know, I think it'll be a big deal when it does happen. I really do. And, I, I, and I'm going to keep saying it as long as Georgia State remains good in my eyes. This is a team that can get the job done. It's just about executing for 60 minutes or more if it gets to that point. Yeah, um, it's about execute and it's also just about showing up i mean i don't necessarily personally buy the idea that georgia state is still going to be in their own feelings about that loss to auburn hearing coach Elliott talk in his press availability this week he made it clear that that was not the message he thought that was going to be the case that um i asked specifically i i worked the word hangover into the question i asked him and he was like we aren't going to use the word hangover around here right now because this team's improving still and so but that, that is the question. You know, if Georgia State doesn't come out of the locker room with their hair on fire, 
if they still are harboring any kind of sads about losing to Auburn in a game they thought they should have won, then App State's going to run all over them. Like, they don't have the luxury of taking a couple minutes to find their feet in this game. App State is more than willing to hit the ground running and never letting up, and it could be a game that you look at and go, would be nice if Georgia State didn't do what they did against Army and just not get in the game from the start. Uh, but speaking of the press availability, and we're 0 for 1 on me mentioning something uh, related to the game that's kind of weird and finicky. Uh, the, the Ty Chandler thing, nothing to that. UNC was very comfortable winning the game. But nobody asked Coach Elliott this week a question related to him being an alum of Appalachian State. And I believe that's the first time since we played Appalachian State, at least since I've been following the calls, that nobody asked him a question. And so maybe that's part of it, you know. Maybe it's finally just like, stop asking about App State. <laughs> and the universe is like, all right, there you go. You, you win. Because uh, it's happened every year, and I feel like progressively more and more, it's been like, all right, already, I went to App State, all right. That's definitely a sign. That's all I need to hear. That's absolutely a sign. So we did put out a call for questions, and Carlos, at one nasty drip on Twitter, would like to know if we think this is the game where we get our passing attack going. Gentlemen, thoughts? That's kind of a hard question to answer, only because. If Georgia State is playing how we want, how Coach Elliott and Coach Glenn want them to play, the answer could be yes and the answer could be no. And I'll explain that in a second. What what they like to do is they like to, you know, run a very high tempo, high play offense. So if the run game is working, they're not going to abandon it just because you want them to pass. You know, let's say this week App State is showing lighter boxes because they are trying to play against the pass, you know. Georgia State's just gonna have just gonna hammer the rock home. As long as, you know, Tucker Greg isn't injured, or you know, as long as, you know, Darren Granger can, is still mobile with his legs and it's working, they're gonna want to run the ball effectively. And I think App State is kind of middle of the pack sunbelt right now at stopping the run, but obviously those are out of conference numbers. As far as do I think another week of practice is going to and you know kind of another week of getting some guys who are a little bit injured is that going to help Granger kind of look even more comfortable in the passing game? Yeah, I think so. You know, App State is again, obviously we talk about it every year, they're one of those teams that are just always up there and they have really good defensive backs, you know, throwing all over them is not necessarily something that a lot of teams are able to do. You have to really be smart and pick your spots. And so I think the opportunities will be there if Georgia State runs the ball well, which I also think that they will be able to do. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if if you're kind of expecting a, you know, a 300-yard day uh, passing affair from Granger. I don't necessarily think that you should expect that. I don't know that you need it. If the run game's working, you just need higher than 50% completion percentage type stuff and just hitting open receivers. And so, you know, in that vein, I'd say I think that the emphasis is going to be more of those quick passes that were working in the second quarter against Auburn, getting that part of the offense continuing to get going because I, th- I think there are still games left on the schedule where you can absolutely get shots down the field like you were doing against Charlotte and where you're getting touchdowns just because a guy is up in man coverage and, Jakai's Cradle or Jamari Thrash beats them. But I don't think that's this week. That's not to say I don't think that they're not going to try and take a couple of those shots because I do think that it's the type of throw that Darren likes making. And so I think we're still going to see 
first and 10 on a drive, maybe run a play action fake and see if you can catch them looking run and see if a guy can get past his corner and be open. But, you know, Sean Jolly is a really good cornerback. You know, they had a cornerback go to the NFL this year. He's playing with the Packers now, Shamar Jean Charles. And they've still got another guy that probably is going to be an all conference type guy. Uh, that's really impressive to do. And uh, Sean Jolly picked on Downton in that game in 2019, got two interceptions. One of them was a pick six. And so I think the point of this is that if they are going to have a better game passing the ball, it's going to have to be because they, they continue to branch out and continue to have the more complete passing game work because I don't think they're going to be able to take their shots against like they did with Charlotte. I just I don't think that those options are going to be there. I don't think it is worth the investment in the possible times of throwing interceptions and just throwing into coverage to do it when I think just for the sake of the offense, you need to start getting the medium stuff and the short stuff working better too. So I would say it'll depend on that. It'll depend on that specific part of it, just if they can continue to get those passes going, maybe continue to get the tight ends involved. All right, so App State, Georgia State, Center Park Stadium, 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. We will see what shakes up between the Mountaineers and the Panthers. But before we head on over to some basketball discussion, there's a pretty major piece of Sunbelt news that you may have heard already. Georgia Southern has fired head coach Chad Lunsford after a 1-3 and start to the 2021 season. Lunsford, of course, was hired after serving as the interim coach in 2017 following the firing of Tyson Summers and finishes his time down south with a 28-21 record buoyed by a 10-3 2018 campaign. Possibly influencing this decision as well is a video that surfaced Saturday of Eagles nose tackle Gavin Adcock standing on top of one of the team's iconic yellow buses chugging a beer while the vehicle was in motion. Georgia Southern would go on to lose that afternoon 28-20 to to the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. Cornerbacks coach Kevin Whitley, a Georgia Southern alum, takes over as the interim for the Eagles. Uh, gentlemen, any thoughts about this? I was pretty sure this was going to happen at some point based on how the season started. I mean, I, I think there's a certain bit of like Georgia Southern doesn't lose games like when they got blown up by Florida Atlantic or the way they lost to Arkansas. But even just past that, their offense has kind of been a work in progress for a few years now. Even the year they won 10 games, the offense wasn't really was the heartbeat of the team. The defense made a lot of plays and they had a super ridiculous turnover margin that I don't have to top of my head. No, but it was something absurd. It was like plus 18, something like that, which helped them in those games. But going to the season, I wasn't really sure what to make of them, but I was still assuming like, okay, they're going to have a solid defense because that's what they've had. And the defense has taken a step back and the offense still hasn't really figured it out. And they're kind of in between, you know, there's still the triple option love. And so it feels like, the offense sort of has to have some attachment to that scheme or some kind of inclination towards that scheme, even if there's no not they're not running the full under center flex bone offense. And so the offense felt mismatched and the defense took a real step back and it just feels like a little bit directionless. And then you add on this incident with the video, and I think it made the decision that was probably coming anyway a lot faster and a lot easier to make. Uh, I, I would also say. Georgia State played Chad Lunsford as his first game at home as Georgia Southern interim coach, and they had a lot of juice in that game. 
This time, Georgia State's going to play them a few weeks after it. And so, and they're playing at home this week in Coach Whitley's first game in charge. And so, as far as Georgia State is concerned, because this still is a Georgia State podcast first and foremost, I think that game is always going to have juice because it's that game between these two schools. But the immediacy of like that team played their best game of the year against Georgia State in 2017. I don't think you can necessarily say that's for sure going to happen. The, some of the sheen of the new inspiration they have with a new interim coach might have worn off by then. So bringing it back to Georgia State Little, I would just say, I'm not sure. We'll see what happens with that. But it doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to be necessarily the same game plays out like that where you get Georgia Southern's best shot. It might be a team that's a couple more losses down the line and feeling a little bit dour. All right. So, of course, uh, seasons change, leaves start falling down and all that good stuff. And you know what that means? It's almost basketball season. And with that comes the start of fall practice and some media availability with head coach Rob Lanier. Brady had the chance to participate in those festivities. So uh, any news on the basketball front? Yeah. And, you know, starting with uh, the good, I would say, let's do good news, bad news. The good news is very good reports out of the development Corey Allen has taken in this offseason. Um, seeing with picture evidence myself can confirm. It, Coach Lanier said he's down 25 pounds. And th- you can see in pictures that he, he looks great. He looks in great shape. I believe he's... Uh, he So he came back as the super senior. And I think there's a worry, and maybe we vocalized this on the pod in as many words, that you have him and Kane come back and they want to be on the team because they want to finish out what they left off. But it's not necessarily about like, I've got to get this better and this better and this better. But he's put a lot of work in in the offseason to get in really good shape. And it also sounds like he's taken in a bigger leadership role than he has had previously to where, you know, Koshinir singled him out for just doing the right thing always and leading the guys in this is how we do things. And it's something he's been looking for is more of that top level leadership. And so that is certainly an encouraging thing. Less encouraging is got the news that Joe Jones is going to miss his second straight season. He's got an injury. And uh, so remains to be seen. The rest of what happens with Joe's career at Georgia State, all I just got to say is I, I hope all the best for him in his recovery. We definitely want to see him again in a Georgia State uniform, playing down the front court, providing what he provides, and hope that we can see that happen in next season in the new arena. Honestly, that family is cursed. Like, I don't know what happened, but that family just... I just wish that that family had any clean bill of health because Joe was fun. He was really fun. What little we did get to see of him. So, uh, but yeah, basketball started soon. That's exciting, right? You know, Georgia state's got some high expectations, a little bit higher than the football expectations, but still pretty high. So, you know, and I, I like the way that coach kind of articulates those things. They kind of, really understand the moment and where they are in terms in relation to just like the teams that they're probably going to be competing with and what the their kind of ideal season outlook is so it's going to be fun obviously we you know we can sit here and preview basketball till the cows come home but you know there'll be more time to talk about that later yeah definitely it's camp progresses we'll get more and more from the basketball team as they get ready for the season and maybe get more of a chance to read the situation with there's a lot of guys returning and Nelson Phillips is going to be back. And that's going to be a big boon for the team that they were missing him last year. But 
I'm interested to see. I think Joe's injury means someone who's an underclassman in the front court is going to play some more minutes because it can't just be Jalen and LEL inside. But I'm interested to see, other than that, the guys in the backcourt, the freshmen, or Jordan Rawls, the transfer from Western Kentucky, kind of see how they find their ways into the rotation because it's a really, really deep group. And it's a deep group with some pretty set starters, you'd think. And so it's just going to be an interesting thing to see how those things shake out and just see who starts grabbing minutes. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right. So we'll be looking forward to that as we get more and more news about basketball. We'll be sure to keep you informed. One final big topic for this week's episode, conference realignment. The saga continues with uh, this week, some rumors and different people saying different things about Georgia State and the American Conference and the Sun Belt and all of those happenings. Matt Brown, publisher of the Extra Points newsletter and one of the main reporters following all this realignment news, when asked on Twitter about if Georgia State is in the conversation for the AAC, said, quote, based on what I've been told right now, not only do I think Georgia State stands put, but I suspect they'd do so even if the AAC extended an invite. And that comes alongside louder and louder rumblings that Southern Miss and Marshall will move to the Sun Belt and that Colorado State and Air Force are bound for the American, with UAB also likely part of that group. So uh, interesting developments. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think we can call a PR spade a PR spade. Uh, It feels like a line that you say when you might not be getting the invite anyway, and you're just trying to say, well, we didn't want to come anyway. I, I think as time has gone on for me personally, and I've actually taken the time to literally write out the prospective conferences as they seem to be lining up, my perspective on this has changed. And I, I know that we have been pretty big in general. We wrote a piece about it a couple of years ago when UConn made the move to the Big East, that it felt like a real fit for Georgia State. And even right when this started with the Big 12 poaching the teams they did from the American. We were still like the prestige of the prestige of the American is better than the Sun Belt. We'll make do without those teams. But I actually wrote it out and the AAC is projected would be East Carolina, Memphis, South Florida, Southern Methodist, Temple, Tulane, Tulsa, Wichita State and basketball, Colorado State, Air Force and UAB, probably the new arrivals and You know, I look at that and I think it's got some quality programs on football, basketball side, but it's really missing that top level stuff that you got from Cincy, you got from Houston and and UCF. Uh, And, you know, I look at the Sun Belt as it was, it is projected as of now. The the Marshall and the Southern Miss stuff aren't at all solid, but it, it is the increasing, it's the rumor that won't go away and it feels more and more solid even if it isn't all the way confirmed and it would be you know arkansas state app state coastal georgia state georgia southern marshall troy south alabama southern miss louisiana schools texas state and you know sort of watch this space with uta and little rock the basketball only schools it's it feels like they're going to be trying to make moves to other conferences it just feels like there's a probably amicable divorce between the Sun Belt and those schools coming up soon. And, you know, I look at the, the differences and I just think 
especially with the football upside that Sunbelt currently seems to be building towards with some of these programs at the top that have been playing well and the regionality of it where it, yes, Marshall and Southern Miss aren't particularly close. It's still about six hours either way from Atlanta, but you know, I, I just don't know that I buy that the step up is that worth it when you're going to be adding random trips to Colorado that aren't close and aren't necessarily going to be bringing huge amounts of fans the other way to as road games. And I don't know that some of the teams really move the needle for any Georgia state fan interest either as you know, losing the three that the AAC lost is a kind of a big deal for that. So, you know, for me, I, I've written it out. I've looked at it and especially if the Sunbelt is able to make those ads and maybe, maybe add at least one more school that you can look at and say, that's a, one of the top two or three programs in the Sunbelt immediately in basketball to help the basketball profile. I think you can take that and you can continue to build up facilities and there's going to be another time that these conversations come up and Georgia state will be in a better position. And hopefully with some more wins and more trophies in an increasingly quality Sunbelt. And so that's, that's kind of where I've landed. I think that's well said. I think the kind of the momentum that and the path that we saw a few years ago isn't there right now. And I, I, don't, I don't want people to sit here and say that we're crapping on the remains of the American conference. I, I, it's not what it is at all. Um, I also don't want people to sit there and think that we are just sunbelt shrills or whatever. You know, I, I think the Georgia State in the iteration of the Sunbelts that you just said, I think that Georgia State is still kind of a peerless institution in that regard, in that conference. Um, but I like I think two things can be true. Georgia State does not it wouldn't be in a conference necessarily with their peers, but the makeup of the American conference that Georgia State would be, uh, I guess, trying to go to isn't quite as alluring as the one that is there now. Which is okay. You know, I, I don't want to sit here and sound like that's not okay. That absolutely is okay. Um, you know, and hopefully the Sun Belt does get some quality schools in football and basketball. And, you know, the conference profile is continuing to raise in those sports. And you get to a situation where Georgia State is still, you know, at or near the top in the conference. But, you know, you've got like the middle Sun Belt team in both football and basketball or other sports, you know, those teams are still good and, you know, consistently going to bowl games and upsetting people in the American conference, you know, in conference USA, you know, you get to a situation where it's not just the, the conference tournament winner for Georgia state, or excuse me, the conference tournament winner for the Sun Belt is going to the NCAA tournament. You know, you're getting to, okay, you know, this is a conference where we feel comfortable giving them, uh, you know, the qualifier bid, and then they can get a couple of at-large bids. You know, if if the conference is going to be as it is, it's still going to have to find a way to elevate its profile because you don't want it to be a middling conference or, you know, kind of lower on the totem pole of the G5 conferences. And then the but there's no mobility, if that makes sense. So the conference realignment thing is just it's tricky it's so tricky and especially because the american hasn't like formally uh, invited anybody that we know it's it's just kind of speculation on everybody's part so no the american has americans made their bids. did did they make their bids yeah okay uh, but you know it's it's still it's going to be a weird next like 3 or 4 years yeah and you know i don't think that the conversation is dead 
I just think it might be for now. I mean, the quote coming out from Georgia State saying like that isn't suddenly followed by the AAC suddenly asking like, oh, no, no, we really watch you come like that's the quote that comes out when it's like, OK, Georgia State isn't going to be making the move right now. And so I think that's why I wanted to have this conversation now. And I guess the last thing I wanted to say on this and, you know, then we can wrap up is just. I'd say when you circle the teams that are in the AAC right now, that it's like, yeah, this is why you're joining. This is the the remnants of what you saw a couple years ago. The one team I would say is Memphis because of what they are in basketball program. And then you can even extend it to Wichita a little bit, even though they're not necessarily regionally close, like Georgia State and Memphis are in the same Southeast. I don't know how much the AAC has done with these ads to help the basketball schools the basketball first schools be happy and so if you're in a situation where you do join and you're a part of this and then in a couple of years when more talk comes around and maybe the big 12 opens up the spot or the aac gets the acc gets weird invites someone and starts this all again and memphis bolts and you just joined to be with memphis as one of the main reasons is a team like that in your area then you kind of the the move might not have panned out like you were hoping for and so i think that that is another thing that is a factor for me is that it feels like the basketball question for the AAC is still kind of open-ended and you wouldn't want to make that move and then suddenly still be on the wrong side of realignment a couple years later. So of course we'll keep you guys abreast of all the developments with realignment as soon as we have any more information, but that's just about all the time we have for this week. did want to hit a little bit of sports bits before we get you completely out of here. Of course, uh, Saturday, we have the game versus Appalachian State and Center Park Stadium at 2 p.m., but we also have plenty of action in other sports as well. Men's tennis and women's tennis will both be headed down to Macon. Men's tennis playing Mercer Gridiron Classic all weekend and women's tennis at Mercer University Mercer Invitational all weekend. Also on Friday, volleyball versus Appalachian State in Atlanta at 6.30 p.m. Women's soccer versus Coastal Carolina in Atlanta at 7 p.m. On Saturday, also volleyball facing Coastal again at 7 p.m. there. Sunday, we have women's soccer facing Troy at 1 p.m. in Atlanta. Monday and Tuesday, men's golf is at the Denver Paintbrush Invitational in Parker, Colorado. So that's what we've got coming on this next week in Panther Athletics. Hope to see you at the game on Saturday versus App State. And until then, have a fantastic rest of your week, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.